Seattle, they, they keep doing this. They keep winning close games. It's really hard to sleep on Sunday when you're like coming <laughs> off like you know adrenaline spikes at yeah. like midnight on a Sunday. <laughs> reactions to all things NFL we've hit kind of the halfway point of the year a lot to go through from this week and we're going to have our half time award predictions slash did we get it right or wrong so hey we got Connor here and we got Ronan hello how you getting on uh, not too bad how's tricks out in uh, Cork grand enough we had a lot of rain mm. not too bad otherwise but uh, yeah I was watching the, the end of the Rugby World Cup which Everyone in Ireland just kind of conveniently forgot about it. The only thing that we were looking out for is that England didn't win it. So, well done, South Africa. You've now solved racism. Like, your captain is actually pretty cool. But, yeah, I'm not sure that, like, tournament win's going to live up to the expectations that we placed upon it. No, I did, I did like, I, I was nice to do off air. I thought it was a bit odd looking after the fantastic speech from the captain about kind of coming together. They then had the black players celebrating separately from the white players, which from an optics perspective doesn't look great for... Uh, for a country with the past that it has. Yeah, sure, look, the Brits don't win. We're always we're always happy with that result. Yeah, nothing too wild or crazy over here at the moment. Just uh, tipping away. We had rain for the first time, which, uh, like, proper rain. It was uh, impressive. And it hasn't rained since. So we're <laughs> kind of <laughs> had, a, had a day and five minutes of rain so far in the six months I've been over here, which is uh, fun and really not what I'm used to as an Irishman. So I suppose... Yeah, yeah, Donegal by way of Galway, like Jesus. Uh, nothing but West Coast rain. But no, got our got our tickets booked for heading back for Christmas. So looking forward for that. And uh, yeah, just need to line up a few bits and pieces to do when we're there. So I suppose we'll fly straight on in because we've got a few bits and pieces to get through. Like I said, we've got the news, we've got the reviews, we've also got our half year kind of stock taking before we look forward to next week's game. So we'll start with the main news stories. So Indianapolis quarterback Jacoby Brissett has an MCL sprain. He uh, had his own lineman back into him during the match and roll him up on his leg. So they reckon he's week to week, although they're hopeful from what I'm hearing that he'll be playing next week. Hoyer the Destroyer is his backup and actually did a surprisingly decent job whenever he came in throwing for three touchdowns, I believe. And uh, wide receiver T.Y. Hilton's calf is at him again so he's now gone for three to four weeks so obviously this puts a bit of a dampener on the offense that they have uh, they're still a very good team and a well coached team and we saw that in the back half of their game during the week but this probably caps their ability to contend they're still going to contend for a wild card but I think they're now a half game back in their division and this is going to slow down them trying to keep up with the also quite injured Houston Texans yeah, and I think capping is probably the best way of putting it because they were already missing T.Y. going into this week and you could just tell that like there was a lot of trick plays, a lot of attempts to get people like Paris Campbell involved. Zach kind of, Pascal. Yeah, like I think Campbell was involved in a lot of kind of sweeps and stuff like that, trying to generate explosive plays without T.Y. Hilton and without Jacoby Brissett at the wheel because Brian Hoyer is efficient at executing a game plan but he doesn't really have the arm or explosive ability to kind of make those big plays himself. So I think the fine margins that Indianapolis have kind of been operating on all season since Andrew Luck decided to retire just got even tighter if Jacoby Brissett misses any time. But I think they are a well-coached team. We know they've you know they've built the draft and true smart, low-risk free agent pickups. 
they're well coached, they have a good offensive line, they should still be able to generate yards. It's just, you know, being solid always gives you a shot, but it's these kind of players that mean that you actually win those close games in the end. No, of course. San Francisco's linebacker Quan Alexander has torn his pec, so he's gone for the season. This is obviously a blow to them, but they are so deep in that kind of defensive front seven that I imagine they'll be able to weather this. It's mostly of interest that maybe the run game might be slightly affected and that maybe underneath on short routes, which are probably, you know, what you're probably going to rely on because you don't want that Bosa in your face, um, might become a little bit weaker there in coverage. Um, but I expect with the amount of talent that they have in that front four and yeah, in the front seven and in general, um, they should be able to still put together a good defense, uh, perhaps even a great defense. But, you know, having losing like a big free agent acquisition like Juan Alexander, maybe that could have a small effect of making them a little more vulnerable back there. And they were scored on by, uh, by Arizona in Thursday night football, so they aren't, aren't an impossible defense to beat, it seems. No, of course. Minnesota's wide receiving core have gotten a little bit thinner. Wide receiver Adam Thielen entered the game against KC this weekend, coming off an injured uh, hamstring. I think about five minutes, ten minutes into the game, he re-aggravated that, so he's now back off, kind of going week to week. And uh, you could see the impact. Now, there was good defensive back play in the game by, I think it was Ward who was on him for on digs for most of the game. But without Thielen on the other side, they were able to kind of shut down a lot of that passing game and kind of force them into using running backs out of the backfield and stuff. So that will have an impact on them uh, moving forward. You know, they're relying on like a lot of their kind of lesser lights in that case like they're going back to Kyle Rudolph who to be honest hasn't really done much for me in a long time and then they're bringing in like Laquan Treadwell's getting more reps mm-hmm. um Bassi Johnson that's getting more reps and these guys like they're probably fine but Thielen is a top level receiver it's always going to hurt them and you know for a player like Kirk Cousins who kind of relies heavily on his players to kind of maybe do some of the work for him it, it could make the difference in a very tough NFC North. No, of course. And Philadelphia's speed option, we'll say, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, is got an injured core muscle, and they reckon he's gone for the season. So they got great production from him in the first game to game and a half <laughs> of the season, and that's been the entirety of his return to Philadelphia so far. And this is a team that could really use a pair of safe hands with a bit of speed behind them when you look at the limitations that they're facing on offense at the moment. Yeah, because they have like a wide receiver one who I mostly trust in Alshon Jeffrey. But when you look across the rest of their team, it's just kind of like Nelson Aguilar's had a lot of drops this year, and there's not really that much behind him. Um, like they were basically playing Aguilar was the wide receiver one when uh, when himself was out. Now they have Miles Sanders. He's been improved in recent weeks. Maybe he'll get more involved in the receiving game mm. uh, as an explosive option. But yeah, I think in terms of taking the top off the team like trying to pull out defenders and open up the underneath, it's going to get more difficult without Deshaun Jackson. And that kind of reflected the struggles the Philly have been having all season. I think they're still good enough that they can be competitive, but definitely caps their ability to kind of create plays for Wentz without him having to do magic stuff. No, of course. And one which isn't a new injury, but an update is uh, Carolina quarterback Cam Newton, who's been out for a number of weeks with a foot injury. There are now reports of his foot not healing correctly, paired with their quarterback, is it Allen, isn't it, who's playing for them at the moment? Yeah. Uh, that so he's kind of coming back down to earth, not looking as good as he did at the start of it. And this is, you know, an ongoing issue with Carolina 
Canada's relationship with Cam Newton where they're concerned about his durability that's been a number of seasons where he's had injuries he's still an explosive playmaker he's on the field but if he's not there for this team they are presumably going to fall off no matter how good Christian McCaffrey is this all emerged because um, Cam Newton was going to Green Bay to meet uh, Dr. Robert Anderson, who's obviously a foot specialist. Cal Allen has been fine. He's actually looked better than fine in some cases, like the Tampa Bay game, but other games has been shown up, like the San Francisco game. So you're looking at someone who I think would be kind of a low-level starter, maybe someone in the Fitzmagic. They could end up having a Fitzmagic-type career, but nothing better, probably. So I think they can survive it and still be competitive, but I think Cam Newton was kind of the X factor in that team that made them someone that you could be afraid of at the deep end of the playoffs. Whereas right now, I just kind of feel Carolina with Cal they feel more like a wildcard type team. Yeah, no, of course. We then had a signing, which surprised the hell out of me a little bit when I was reading it. And I still don't fully understand. So uh, New England, we mentioned last week, uh, were placing Josh Gordon on injured reserve. Uh, this was all part of a magnificent scheme by Bill Belichick to ensure that he didn't get to choose where he went, but that he'd have to pass through the waiver system by uh, not releasing him until after the uh, trade transfer deadline had finished. So once he was released, he then went through the waiver process. For those who aren't familiar, it's essentially like you'd get in your fantasy football or at the draft at the end of the year in opposite directions. So from worst team to best, teams get a chance to select the player. So they'd have to pass by all 32 teams to become a free agent. And Josh Gordon, who is a very good athlete, has landed on the Seattle Seahawks. So I believe we're 28th in the waiver wire process, which means 27 teams decided they didn't want Josh Gordon on their team. Now, New England don't have a stellar lineup of wide receivers at the moment, and Josh Gordon has looked good when on the field for them, so it was a bit of a surprise. He doesn't cost very much against the cap. There's presumably, if he is good, you'll get a compensatory pick whenever he goes elsewhere the following year. So there must be something going on in the back round here one to cause new england to get rid of him but two to cause 26 27 teams to look at him and be like well that won't for a million dollars a year improve our wide receiver room yeah i think on the new england side the rumors indicate that they weren't happy with his conditioning that he wasn't keeping up with the kind of you know high standards that they maintain in that room and therefore they were you know more interested in keeping like their young guys and giving them an opportunity to come to Kiel Harry off IOR recently, for mm-hmm. example. I think for in terms of why teams skip them, I think it's mostly I think it's mostly a culture thing. I think for you know, obviously lots of teams they're in a situation where either they're not gonna win anyway, so why would you, you know, bring in someone who could potentially create ructions within the locker room, or they're in a situation where they're winning and they don't want to disturb it. And obviously I don't think Josh Gordon is necessarily a bad influence in the locker room, but he perhaps, you know, has someone who's been given multiple chances. People might ask, like, why are you bringing this guy in when we have people who've worked hard in the building? I think for Seattle, the big thing that happened was that Russell Wilson, I think personally, was vouching for Josh Gordon and want to get him into the building. And they also have a fairly laissez-faire approach to, you know, culture. Now, that in the past, that sometimes come back to bite them. It's <laughs> like how Richard Sherman and stuff left the team, for example, or Earl Thomas. But I think they still maintain that type of approach. And yeah, I think Russell Wilson wanted him. He asked for it, and for this amount of cost, it's it's basically a no risk thing. And of course, with him and DK Metcalf as two kind of mountain 
well-conditioned studs. They have a chance to have a you know a pretty pretty physically dominant wide receiver core to go mm. with the speedy shiftiness of Tyler Lockett. No, of course it's a it's a nice signing. Like I would have been very happy to see KC pick him up at that point. Uh, but yeah, it's just uh, it, it's one of those ones where when you get released and then that many teams pass on you, even even just from the idea of just sign him and then fire him off and hope that you'll get a compensatory pick afterwards because he's costing very little versus the cap. It just seems unusual to, to to see him slide that far. But as always, we wish him all the best. Hope he does well because when he's been on the field and playing well, he's looked phenomenal. So it'll be uh, great to see. Uh, there's also been a lot of interest. I don't know if you were watching the... Uh, Monday Night Football last night there's a large amount of interest around the league in signing uh, Black Cat who uh, took over the field <laughs> around the third quarter Next Gen Stats have released that uh, the Cat got 179 yards travelling on the field with a high point of 14.5 miles per hour in speed so uh, people are thinking it's probably a tweener between a tight end and possibly fullback <laughs> uh, but we'll see Controversy Corners up next Trent Williams this saga continues. So Trent Williams, the left tackle for the Washington Mazungus, who had a cancer misdiagnosis by Washington, apparently all the way back five years ago. So he had a uh, growth on his head. They apparently told him it was benign, not to worry about it. This has basically resulted in he's decided to, he's, he's, he decided to end his holdout and has failed his physical on the basis of not being able to find a helmet that is not painful to wear. Yeah. Yeah, they had to. They, so they had this to. Isn't, this isn't the bullshit thing. This no. is legitimately his head is pretty fucked up. Yeah, they had to remove the growth from his head. There's a baseball-sized scar up on top yeah. of it, and then there's a lot of back and forth on. There's been ex-members of the Washington uh, management team coming out and claiming that oh well we told him to get this checked out when we were there and he didn't do it it's on him a lot of back and forth on this kind of stuff and then there's been talks about if leaks stop would they kind of rescind any kind of complaints that they're putting into the NFLPA or what will happen there like to be honest at this point like I know they're not an organization known for one making smart decisions or two like making sure that PR is a concern for what their actions are as an organization. But surely Washington just want to wash their hands of this situation at this point. Cut them loose. It, 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 it beggars belief that he's still on the team. Like it's just a situation where like he doesn't want to play for them. He, he's chosen not to engage further in terms of action against the team alongside the NFLPA, um, who were basically told to stand down by Williams because he just doesn't want to deal with this shit anymore. Like, even if it turns out that there was some miscommunication there or, like, someone was warning him there, like, I, I don't think he made a mistake that the doctor told him at some point that he had, it was benign and it, it was misdiagnosed as cancer. Like, he's going to be pissed off. They're just That's just human-level emotion. And at some point, you just have to cut bait and just have to realize that, you know, you're not going to be able to bridge this gap. You know, particularly when, you know, when it did come to light, he did end up being hospitalized. No one from the team went to the hospital. I know it was on the other side of the country. No one from the team went to the hospital. The only person who visited him from the, who was associated team with the Angelo Hall. So that's hardly a ringing endorsement yeah. that you give a fuck about him. So, you know, you're talking about someone who, to some extent, at the very least, has been feels fucked over by how his, the team has treated him. And then at his lowest point, when you're dealing with cancer, the team showed no backing for him. And now he just wants to get this shit done with. And I couldn't... You know, I couldn't disagree that, with anyone who wanted to get that done. 
and the fact that the Mzungus continue to hold on to his rights just because I assume to extract something like a compensatory pick or a trade in the offseason or something like that. But, but this is the thing, like, like this, they, they, this hold, they hold his rights for that and then they don't engage in any trade negotiations until a day before the deadline and basically yeah. fuck the chance of ever getting anything yeah. for him. Like, it was just... Yeah. So now he, he's trying to toll his contract and I think at the very least just because no one wants this to explode again, it may be that they'll give him an NFI and then there'll be a case of whether they choose to take his money back or not at that point as well. Maybe they'll just leave, let sleeping dogs lie at that point, pay him his money and get, like let him leave in the offseason. But you know, that would be the best case scenario. But with this team organization, yeah. it's hard not to imagine well, this them is, fucking up. Like, this is the thing. We, 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 we've heard of ex-players from Washington complaining about them going after game checks when you've been injured and not providing health insurance and basically fighting tooth and nail for all of these things. So I can't imagine this is going to go well. But yeah, so basically Trent Williams... Fucked over by Washington and continuing to be fucked over by them as we uh, as we report on this right now. Uh, crime and punishment. We've actually got a few. What are they doing? Probably felonies. Jared Whitehead threatened the safety for the Cleveland Browns. Threatened to kill a load of people. He was a bit annoyed after they lost. Uh, took to Twitter and got into a number of back and forths where he was telling people, he's like, I'm going to kill you, bitch. It's on. <laughs> just, just straight up threatening to kill fans. So Cleveland... I've decided to get rid of him, and he's been suspended from Twitter, which I'm sure yeah. is, a, is a is a big hit. Uh, big punishment. Like I imagine there must be a lot more here because John Dorsey is not a man who shies away from players who have controversy behind them. You know. Well, well I thought like this obviously isn't someone who's a core part of the team uh, to any extent, and this kind of behavior, if he if you keep him on the team, he's just going to become like a lightning rod mm-hmm. when you consider how bad the team is the fans aren't exactly in a happy mood and yeah like the exchange here we obviously include the, the, effectively a death threat and some back and forth about you know some guy telling me your address and him basically <laughs> getting threatened like it and him giving the Cleveland facility address so it's just a bit of a mess and Cleveland decided to, to wash their hands of the whole situation um, I think for Whitehead maybe he'll wash up somewhere at some point but for a team which is you know, currently best known for, you know, shit like this and poor sartorial choices, it's hardly a great look um, and not a good time to be a Cleveland Browns fan. No, not in the slightest. Where have I heard that before? And I suppose, uh, I suppose as well, next uh, next week, or sorry, this week, I suppose, is the uh, return of uh, Cream Hunt to the team as well. So best only have one thing that the media can focus on at a single <laughs> time. Uh, Miami running back Mark Walton has been suspended for four games under the substance abuse policy. Refers to a uh, incident that occurred over the off season. So they knew that this was probably in the post. I think they were just not sure exactly when it would land. It's landed now, unfortunately, just after they traded on Kenyon Drake, who went from doing nothing on this Dolphins team to having an incredible first day for the Cardinals. But obviously this is going to be in an uptick for uh, Kalen Bellage and whoever else is making up the rest of that running back room at this point. But yeah, unfortunately, given this is the chance for someone like Walton to be able to showcase themselves a little bit, now they kind of got a shot at the role and now they're instantly gone. Yeah, like to be fair, Walton has been involved in multiple incidents since he entered the league. I think there was like the drug incident, and then there was also kind of a, an altercation incident, I think, that might get another suspension at some point. But yeah, he got the drug uh, substance abuse thing in this case. But yeah, Caleb Balage hardly inspiring considering that the only play I remember with him this year was when he ducked out of the way 
someone <laughs> trying to dump the pads after them. But uh, yeah, like it's Miami. I know they won a game. Well done, but uh, not too relevant for anyone else to be honest, except for Mark Walton. No, that's about it. And uh, also, just in other news, there's been some uh, rumors flying around about the San Diego Chargers, currently of LA, uh, moving to London. This is obviously amid there was uh, the final London game was on. There was a lot of you know success. They sold out quite well, even though, as we'll talk about later on, they're maybe not the greatest game in the world. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so basically they're locked. They're, they're, they're committed to playing in LA, but this report comes out to say that the league has said that they would support them if they were to move across to London, uh, help them get out of that agreement with uh, the Rams. And to be fair, if we, if you remember a couple of weeks back, we discussed the fact that the Rams ownership, because they're going to own the stadium and essentially be leasing out stuff to the uh, to the Chargers, have been unhappy with the way that the Chargers have been approaching this. As Chargers don't get, I think they only get like ten percent of the revenue from uh, personal seat licensing and things like that. They are not revenue generating the way that the Rams were expecting them to be in their kind of uh, revenue sharing agreement. So the Rams are possibly looking at this as a spot where they're not getting as much back from hosting these guys in a shared stadium as they would be otherwise and possibly they would be interested in getting out of it as well. Like The big knock on this is obviously that if they move to London, all of their existing fan base are on the West Coast and they wouldn't be able to watch them or they'd have to get up at 6 a.m but as we kind of we joke but we, we we joke because there's not just a kernel of truth there's a box of fucking popcorn of truth in this that like they don't have fans they play <laughs> in a twenty-four thousand seater stadium in the heart of la and they can barely sell probably seven thousand seats to people who are there in their own gear it's an away game every time they're playing like this TV ratings show that people aren't watching them in LA because is this either a savvy move for them to actually establish a new fan base or as I've heard muttered in a couple of different corners actually a little push from the league to try and get Jacksonville to uh, agree to start moving because Shad Khan has been making statements over the last month about there not being enough people buying tickets in Jacksonville and bad mouthing the uh, support they have locally as well. Well, it's, it's a long story tradition in the NFL to kind of use owners and franchises against each other to get a better deal. I don't know, like, Shad Khan might be looking to get more money from Jacksonville, um, or he might generally want to just, like, kind of merge his operations of Fulham FC, his, his soccer team, mm-hmm. and those into a single brand. Um, I think it is important to note that, you know, the whole Chargers in LA thing was effectively a shotgun marriage, um, where basically... The Chargers uh, left San Diego on the altar a couple of days beforehand. Um, so it, was, it wasn't exactly a, a happy uh, coincidence. This, this was just, I think, a case where Dean Spanos, who's known to be not one of the more independently rich owners, thought that being in L.A. would increase the value of the team. And they are still saying they're committed to L.A., but the rumours are if the league came to them, they wouldn't necessarily say no. What does that mean to me? That probably indicates to me that that's Dean Spanos going, look, London, it will be really difficult. Look at all these transition costs. You know, the West Coast fans, the three of them left, will be very disappointed. Um, but if you were to offer us a bit of money on the side for what's an unprecedented level of relocation, 
you know, a bit more than we're getting already for the relocation fund, mm-hmm. then maybe we could consider it. And then that leaves it in the NFL's hands. And, of course, the NFL, you know, I think Neil Reynolds um, said on Twitter, you know, mo- like, you know, there's talk about, like, well, it'll be really hard and, you know, are they true fans and stuff like that. But Neil Reynolds said on Twitter, like, lots of stadiums in the NFL right now are half empty. They're not filled every week. So even if you do just get it as a kind of eight games per year, people from around Europe decide to see an NFL game, that's going to make more money for you in the long run, well, in, certainly in the short term and de- probably in the long run. And, you know, in that case, if San Francisco, who are undefeated, can't fill their stadium, why wouldn't you take a risk on a basically whole continent filling your stadium for oh, a single yeah. team? There's also, uh, there's also to add to that, uh, additional kind of, oh, shady corners, conspiracy theory stuff knocking around, <laughs> that, the, um, that the scheduling this year, which left Oakland on the road for six weeks straight, was to test... The idea of a split where you played two home, six away, four home, two and two. So you could split out the season and balance it out that way. That what that would look like for a team. Now, I think that's complete fabrication. But I'm wondering, notice that obviously a relocation like this would almost definitely necessitate a reordering of the divisional order as well. You can't really put a formerly West Coast team like San Diego into London, you'd probably have to move them over to one of the East divisions. Yeah, into the AFC East, possibly move the Dolphins into the AFC South and move the Texans into the AFC West or something? Yeah, something like that. And just to note, just a little before we move on to to the next section, just a bit of breaking news. Firstly, Cam Newton, an update, he's been placed in IR his season is over. Kyle Allen will be there for the rest of the season. Oh, right. And also that Doug Marone has announced that Nick Foles will be the starter after the uh, bye week. That oh, that started. was an early announcement. He said he wasn't going to say anything until uh, this weekend, I think. Weekend. Yeah, but then he came into the locker room and uh, BDN, you know, no denying that. Yeah, it's true, it's true. <laughs> to be fair, though, like I don't I don't think this is necessarily the worst thing in the world to happen to Gardner Minshew. I think he has potential. He's been thrown in there, probably very underprepared, six-round rookie, not really expecting to be starting. Like I think there's enough there that I wouldn't... Like I'd be happy to have him there. If you looked at the cap situation, they weren't going to be able to get rid of Nick Foles full stop, even if they wanted to move on. So have Nick Foles there teaching him... Let him learn, let him develop there, and then have your option to either roll with Minshew or to use Minshew as a bridge while you're finding your long-term solution there. I think it's not a bad situation to be in to have someone who has the quality of Minshew on a sixth-round rookie's salary for the next three to four years, you know? Yeah, and obviously, if they end up, you know, Foles doesn't do well, you have, like, a a higher base of expectation for him that you could bring Minshew back in and obviously Foles even if you do end up getting the end of the season and Foles does okay like it's hard to see Jacksonville going beyond the wildcard round mm-hmm. but even if he does okay um, then there's obviously trade possibilities in the offseason regardless if mm-hmm. Minshew ends up being something that people really want to bring back it's a little bit awkward right now but ultimately it's a good situation to be yeah. in I'm also seeing an idea that uh, <laughs> so this, it'll definitely be out of out of date by the time this goes out. Apparently, uh, the Chargers are going to uh, address the London situation in the next hour, uh, and they're expected to say no, we've no interest at all. But yeah, yeah, it's, well, of course it's kind of what you'd expect. I suppose with that, we'll move on and have a look at the games from last week. 
So first up, Thursday Night Football, San Francisco at Arizona. Surprisingly close game. We all went for San Francisco, but Jimmy G had a great game. Four touchdowns, nice completion percentage. Uh, their defense didn't look that great, but maybe that's the short week stuff and everything that tends to happen on Thursday Night Football. Uh, Arizona looked sharp. Uh, as I mentioned in the in the news section, Kenya Drake looked very good there, much different from what he did in Miami, 110 yards and a, and a touchdown. The offense for Arizona looked better, their defense still questionable. San Fran unbeaten, but like this is at an Arizona team that we don't rate that highly. Is this similar to the Patriots, a kind of unbroken streak that is more vulnerable than you might think if you just look at it on paper? I think they're, they're, I don't think this is like the best team. This isn't like the sixteen and Patriots team, like or the nineteen and Patriots team. There's definitely flaws. Hey, hey, hey! There was no nineteen and Patriots team. Oh, sorry, God no, bless sorry, the Giants. The uh, would be nineteen and Patriots, mm. but like, yeah, like I think, like I think on the Arizona side, they did expose maybe that this defense isn't quite the world-beating thing it is. And I think the big thing was that they had a lot of explosive plays both on the ground where the run defense of San Francisco has been pretty good but hasn't always, necessarily always been uh, the best like I think Christian McCaffrey did pretty well against them and I think they gave up a few explosive plays and I, some of the games I've seen in San Francisco there's definitely been a few moments where they've been lucky not to give up an explosive play or two uh, and I think the Arizona offense is still incredibly inconsistent but is adding in those kind of big plays that they weren't getting early on and that's making them look a lot better even if they, they really need to have like you know, a red zone offense. They really need to have, you know, the, the kind of solid framework to do stuff. I think, you know, the big thing for San Francisco here, though, was that, you know, the run game was fine. The defense was, you know, was disappointing. But Jimmy G, you know, we asked, is he going to be able to step up if those elements aren't at their peak level that they've been this season? And the answer in this game was yes. I know the Arizona defense isn't exactly world-beating by any stretch, but 314 yards, four touchdowns, that's a really good stat line, and he looked efficient, he looked ready, the offensive line held up more or less. So I think if you're a San Francisco fan, yeah, there's a bit, bit, bit to be, you know, a little bit like worried about here in terms of the, like the defense not being beaten up by what's perhaps not the best offense, but the fact that Jimmy G has come in and actually had to carry the team for once and done really well, that's got to be a really big positive in my opinion. No, of course. And this is also going to be the type of game that when it gets to the offseason, uh, Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury are going to point to and say, look, this is what we could do in our first year. Imagine what we can do if we continue to develop. So it's positives on both sides, I think. Next up, the London game. Houston at Jacksonville, 26-3. to This was awful. Houston beat up on Jacksonville. It was like all field goals in the first half. It was wet. It was boring. I think I referred to this online as a damp fart of a game. Like, Watson was good. Their running game was good. Minshew did nothing until kind of like the tail end and then just started having turnovers left, right and centre. Yeah, I think, was it was it the end of this game where he rushed to the line to get a playoff, got the snap off and fumbled the ball? Uh, yeah, like, so Three series in a row ended with a turnover, two picks, and a, a fumble. Uh, like to be fair, like obviously you're getting further and further behind, you're getting more and more desperate. But yeah, it, it was the first time that he kind of looked mortal, basically, and looked like a sixth round QB starting in the NFL. Yeah, like uh, but it wasn't it wasn't a good game. Don't go look at the highlights on this. Next up was uh, Chicago at Philadelphia. Ronan, tell us a bit about this. Yeah. If I remember correctly, there was a point. Was it like the first half they only generated nine yards of offense? 
yeah, it was pretty, pretty awful, like, let's be honest. Like, it was 12-0 at the half, which kind of gives you an indication where Philly's offense is still struggling a bit because, obviously, Deshaun Jackson came back for very little time. Um, but the D basically kept, let's be honest, the truly awful Mitchell Trubisky well in check. He only had 125 yards in total, and most of that was in the fourth quarter based on, basically, plays that anyone could have thrown, basically, for example, Dave Montgomery in like basically 20 yards circles of space to throw to. But I think, you know, Philly, we know they're fine. There's definitely a worry that they're not really at contender level. But Chicago with Mitch Titty, they're just they're just not doing anything right now. Uh, Dave Montgomery is showing progress. That's yeah. nice. But without a quarterback, I don't think it's going to really matter that much. And their defense, while still fine, isn't anywhere near the elite unit that they had, especially when they lost like players like Akeem Hicks. And they lost another secondary player in this game. It's, it doesn't feel like it's going to get going to turn around in Philly in the back half of the season. No. Uh, next up, Minnesota at KC, twenty-three to twenty-six. This was a very exciting game. After kind of a slower start, the second half in particular was very exciting. Walk off field goal to win by Butker. He was probably the MVP of the day. Although Matt Moore was uh, was very good as well. Tyree Hill showing up, one hundred forty yards of touchdown. I remember you texting and mentioning said uh, Hill's just showing off at one point on a play where he wasn't scoring. He just caught up with a player from about fifteen yards behind yeah. <laughs> him to celebrate with him as he ran in for a touchdown. Uh, Matt Moore looked effective but at times the pass rush from Minnesota was just getting to him and coming straight through the line at him like Minnesota looked solid the Chiefs defense kind of keyed in on Cooks and if I remember correctly I think none of his yardage came before contact in the entire game which is just a remarkable stat for how much they were focusing on the on the run game Post game, they, they made a point of saying, yeah, we needed the whole defense to stop Dalvin Cook, which yeah, is the way like, to do it. To be and like I said, to be honest, I think the injury to Thielen probably is the only reason this game went the way it went because the Chiefs' defense stepped up very well. They're, they're actually bizarrely, their defensive backs have been playing extremely well this season. Moore did a great job on Diggs. But like I said, if there was two of those threats there, I think they'd probably have a better chance. But whenever you have. Rest- restricted the wide receiver weapons and then you focus basically 80% of your defense on stop the running back and still allow him to have over 100 yards like it forces Cousins to make the to to, to, to win it for them and Cousins just wasn't up to scratch yeah and I think like when I think of this Minnesota team when they're going well they go really well they run all over you they basically dominate you in many games but when things are going badly, they just seem to the, the confidence just isn't there to kind of push their way through it. Like there was just a couple of key mistakes in this game. For example, Cousins sliding short of the of the first down marker yeah. on key third and long, and just like a you know if he had just jumped forward, if he had pushed forward or just basically took the hit, it would have been a first down. And I just think like this Minnesota team, they're solid. There's lots of things to like about them, including Dalvin Cook, of course, but. When you're talking about genuine contenders in the NFL, they just have that brittleness still about them mm-hmm. that just means you can't really trust them. And when you look at a team like KC who go through the you know the difficulty of losing their quarterback, managing to get a win out of this situation, you kind of see the contrast between the teams mm-hmm. we consider contenders and the teams we consider to be pretenders. Albeit in this case, a very you know probably a contender, who, a pretender who could make the playoffs, but just 
don't be little yeah. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on moving forward is uh, Spagnuolo's defense for Casey seems to actually be turning the corner. There's a lot more good play out of like Kylian Saunders, uh, Nadi, a lot of the defensive line. They're now rotating a lot more. Uh, so you saw Chris Jones play from both inside and outside on the front four, and that is creating a lot more mismatches. And they're able to now bring pressure with four, which is. To be honest, something I haven't seen probably since 2015 on the Chiefs, which is it's a nice thing to see. Indianapolis at Pittsburgh, 24-26. This was a big disappointment for Indy. We mentioned the injury to their quarterback. Adam Vinatieri missed the kick, which allowed Pittsburgh to win. Their defense had a number of turnovers, but Pittsburgh... Oh, like I don't like their offense at all. I think their defense is really, really good at the moment. But... Indianapolis, with their now third-string quarterback, were able to take it to them and should have won this game. Like, these teams look a little bit rudderless, but Pittsburgh, I don't understand this, like, buoyancy that their fan base have of, oh, this is, this is great, we're going to make it into the playoffs and we're really going to kick everyone's ass. No one's given us the respect we, we deserve. They don't deserve respect from the play I'm seeing on the pitch here. Yes, Fitzpatrick is good. Yes, their defense is good. This team is going nowhere in the playoffs, even if it does make it, and I don't think it makes it. Yeah, it, it, it feels like all of those like six seeds we've seen in the SC in the sense that they, you know, they have solid defenses and they can do enough on offense to get by, but they're not gonna win against a, you know, a Baltimore or a Kansas City or a Patriots, like at the end of the day, a team that's gonna put it up to them on their offense and force them to do stuff. Because, like, their run game has been fine. They're missing James Conner here, but Jalen Samuels was fine in relief. Uh, and they had, like, a, a converted tight end in there, Edmonds as well, who, who had some big plays. But, yeah, I think you saw here that with Mason Rudolph, there's just a huge cap of what they can do. And I, I don't, yeah, I don't seem to go anywhere. And, like, to be honest, Devin Hodges, like, the undrafted rookie, looked better than Rudolph when he was briefly on this team. So yeah. there's definitely a case maybe that Mason Rudolph, I know he was drafted fairly highly, but maybe... Maybe you should mix things up. I think like Indianapolis, as I said already, their margins were already so fine with Brisket, with T.Y., that they're even finer here. And when you have Vinatieri, who, who definitely looks like he's on the back end, this is probably his last season based on how he's done this year. You know, at the end of the day, are they going to get it done against the best team? Probably not. No. Next up, Jets at Miami, 18-26. to This game was awful, but there was some fun bits in the awfulness. Miami deserved this win. They are failing at failing. Fitzmagic had a great game through three touchdowns, but like there was fantastic moments like they they complete a pass to a tight end that should be a touchdown. It gets called back. Then they're intercepted on the goal line. So then <laughs> to try and lose the game some more, Miami then on their own goal line decide to knee it out to get to the half. Instead, accidentally give up a uh, give up a safety, have to kick the ball back to uh like to the Jets who then score a field goal before the end of the half. Like both teams were awful. That offensive line is just trying to get Darnold killed at the moment. And uh, Adam Gase, like one, they should never have hired him in the first place. The only plus side is that there's no way they're keeping him after this year. Like he is doing an atrocious, atrocious job. The only worry coming out of this game is Miami's coaches might not survive purely on the basis that they're going to win more than one or two games and cost themselves the uh, top overall pick. But yeah, two irrelevant teams. More than enough said. Uh, tell me about Washington of Buffalo, 9-24. Yeah, much like the Mazingus, I'm going to keep this short. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the Bills ground out this win. Singletary looked good for them. 
Uh, that's definitely a plus for them, but the D is still very bad against the run, which is unfortunate because the Bazookas right now are literally just the vehicle for trying to get the quickest game record and giving Adrian Peterson more yards. Yeah. Uh, and Adrian Peterson had like 50% of their yards and was fine, but like Haskins is still looks like a bust at the moment. Um, so Buffalo get it basically a, an easy win here. And Mazungus continue to just run their way and try. They're basically running out the season, and they're doing a pretty good job of it right now. No, of course, Detroit at Oakland, twenty-four to thirty-one. Oakland looked good. Carr looks solid, nearly three hundred yards and two touchdowns. Uh, the rookie running back Jacobs looking great, one hundred and twenty and two touchdowns. Offense does enough. The defense does a fine job, particularly given the amount of uh, injuries that they have on there. Stafford tries his best big yardage machine but yeah just not enough and their defense i don't know if it's that they've lost personnel or what it is but just yeah just not really much going on there to be honest they feel like they're a solid team but you know they're just like as the season's gone on they've been losing more and more pieces their defense lost pieces they obviously lost their their lead running back and it kind of feels that more and more they're reverting to hey stafford can you just do the whole job for us and he's he's trying, and he's certainly doing a lot more throwing than they did last year, 400 yards in this game, but if you don't have a run game and you don't have a defense, you're not going to win games, and a solid Oakland team, which continues to just grind out games with the short passing from Carr and the Jacobs runs, it's fine, it works, they'll yeah. be maybe relevant for the wild card punt, but yeah, uh, maybe a sneaky wild card. beyond that. No, no. Uh, Tennessee at Carolina, 20-30, this was a fairly boring game. Carolina win... McCaffrey does his general playing good thing, 160-something yards and two touchdowns. Kyle Allen does okay, two touchdowns and an interception. Tannehill still looks better than Marcus Mariota does with this Titans outfit, but essentially they were just Henry the running back and that was it. I find this Tennessee team boring. I think this Carolina team, Christian McCaffrey is incredible, but... Like, like we said, with that news of Cam being out for the season, I don't really see them as a contender. That said, who knows? Earlier on in the run, the rookie looked like he could be a surprise for them. So maybe now that they know it's here long term, they change up the game plan a little bit. But yeah, this was a stinker of a game. Straightforward win for Carolina. The Titans suck. <laughs> Tampa Bay at Seattle went to overtime 34 to 40. Yeah, two missed field goals in this one. Yeah, including one at the very end. Basically, Russell Wilson had two game-winning drives in this game, one to get them into field goal range and then one to win in overtime. Um, and to be honest, the missed field goals, he had a fumble from Carson in the fourth quarter. Their defense was overmatched by Mike Evans, who had 180 yards, and Jameis, who actually looked okay beyond his obligatory turnover based on a, like an empty throw. Like empty hand throw. I don't know what happened there. Fumble. <laughs> but yeah, Russell Wilson is not being denied right now. Uh, 370 yards, five touchdowns with both Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf having a hell of a day. Absolutely. Yeah. Going all over the Tampa Bay uh, defense. In particular, the fill in cornerback Jamel Dean was picked on again and again and again mm-hmm. and again. <laughs> but um, if they can keep doing, like they don't have as many cupcakes coming in the second half of the season. But if they have Russell Wilson, then you just could never count match. You never count them out. Mm-hmm. Like Tampa Bay, they obviously are good at boat races, but they're not good at anything else. But uh, you know, they, they they probably deserve to be a little bit better in the record, but 
not that much more. Uh, yeah. We'll see what Bruce Arians decides to do as they go down the back. I think they started Ronald Jones to be named starter. Maybe they can get something going there. Yeah, like a very good performance from the offense. Although, again, that kind of thing, if you'd like to see more coming out of the shadow defense in it. Uh, Lockett, DK, fantastic options there in the passing game. You've seen particularly with uh, DK Metcalf, big body getting used in the end, in the end zone a lot. Like you're saying, if Josh Gordon can come in and act as a compliment to that, that's going to be one of those dangerous collections wide receivers that you're going to be able to get your hands on. Tampa Bay, again, they have these games where they play up to probably above what I think their actual overall skill level is, but still manage to mess it up. So, you know, it doesn't doesn't throw off the stats too much. Yeah, I think the one takeaway here is that some people have believed that Tampa Bay's good run defense hasn't been because it's a good run defense it's just because they people are like we can just pass it's much easier mm. and like Seattle because they love running did get 100 yards here so maybe there's a little bit of truth in there to be honest yeah but you still have like 400 <laughs> yards passing uh, Green Bay at the Chargers Ooh. 11 to 26 a surprisingly routine win for the Chargers like obviously it's a a weird result no one's expecting the Chargers to win but yeah. basically Joey Bosa had himself a game and the rest of the D-line was pretty good as well and like Rodgers had less than 100 yards going into the fourth quarter for an offense that had been blowing the doors off recently. Maybe LA, they fire Ken Wisenhunt and now suddenly they're great. We'll, that we'll, we'll see with that. Um, and with Green Bay, like I'm not ready to push the panic button yet. Just maybe they came against a, you know, you're going across the entire country. You're caught out a bit out of time. So I'm willing to say that it's probably a one-off. But in terms of them being kind of seen, like they're kind of seen to be building towards classic Aaron Rodgers dominance, this is definitely something that makes you reconsider that a little bit. Uh, Cleveland at Denver, 19 to 24. Surprise win for Denver, but, you know, Cleveland have been underperforming for the season entirely. So Brandon Allen, the new quarterback, does an all right job. Lindsay does a decent job on the ground as he has been all season, nearly 100 yards and a touchdown. Like Cleveland started to push a little bit at the at the end of this game, but there was, it didn't feel like there was any biting at all. OBJ is complaining about everything on the sidelines. Like, just Freddie Kitchens is in a million miles over his head. He doesn't know yeah. what the fuck he's doing. He's walking into the potential for just getting late season fired if they think they have someone that might do something better on the staff. Like, I just... Yeah, this Cleveland team is hard to work out. Denver, not that... Impressive. Probably the biggest surprise for me was that Noah Fant had a big day. He's been awful all season, and now they put in a quarterback. Because their previous quarterback was known for loving his bits of tight ends because he hasn't been as good at throwing. Now he's throwing Brandon Allen, who I think is meant to have a bit more of an arm, and he's suddenly just belting it to Noah Fant for 100 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Though, though I think a big hat tip has to go out to Cleveland's awful, awful tackling technique. Like, two, <laughs> their two touchdowns basically came with, I think, three or more missed tackles by Cleveland on both of them. And, like, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, considering that the biggest, like, thing that came out of this game was any highlights, it was all about the sartorial choices, the the cleats of OBJ, um, Baker looking like a hobo. Oh, uh, yeah. The NPC in the interview afterwards. Yeah, not not good in Cleveland right now. Not at all. Uh, New England at Baltimore. This is a big one, 20-37. Tw- Lamar Jackson continues his MVP hype assault, which just is kind of a lot of running, great throws, blew the doors off this New England defense that everyone's been talking up the whole time. And even with this, they tried to give the give control of the game back to them 
<laughs> number of times. Towards the back end of the first half, they just lost all momentum, turned the ball over on a special teams play, and then I think fumbled on their next offensive uh, possession to go from what would have been a three-and-a-half score hole to uh, to being a lot less, I think, uh, within just about a score going into the halfway. But then they came out in the second half and they continued a bit of dominance. There was also a very bad pick thrown by... Uh, by Tom Brady directly into the arms of Earl Thomas, I think, for in the fourth quarter, which kind of allowed them to kill off the clock and separate themselves there. But, like, yes, Baltimore are a very good team, and they're also incredibly difficult to scheme for. But does this make you think that there's a lot, that there might be more to those suggestions that the entirety of the vaulted New England defense statistics and their position is just the schedule? Because they're a good team, but, like, Baltimore haven't performed this strongly against other teams. Like, they were beaten by the Browns earlier in the season. The same Browns we were just yeah. talking about a minute ago. I think what we saw here is that the, the Patriots defense, it's not the 85 Bears. We're not talking about, a like, the next great generational defense here. We're talking about just a, a good defense, well able to contain the better, uh, like, the, the lesser teams. But you can get around it if you need to. And it's just a matter of whether they can do it quickly or not. I think, you know, Baltimore came out and they threw, uh, basically threw everything at this game. Their run game, which has always you know, been pretty interesting already, they seem to throw out even more looks and basically designed to, you know, make the New England defense think. And I think it, it worked a treat. Basically, Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, uh, Bill Bo basically had the run of it. Um, no plot pun intended, and you know New England. Yeah, they were flattered by this score. They 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 just could have been a blowout for all intents and purposes. Like I know it was a seventeen point loss, but it could have been easily even more. Yeah. Their defense could, like did continue to create turnovers, which I suppose is useful. And Mohamed's new was nice, but yeah, I, like I'm not going to push the panic button every year. New England have a game like this where they get stomped, like KC, our team that often does it to them in the regular season. But you kind of believe that if like the offense and the defense, if there are issues here, if there is some new stuff here that, that confuse them, Bill Belichick and the coaching staff will have it sorted out for when it actually matters. I think Baltimore, they came out here with you know malicious intent uh, to get a big win in the AFC, and I think New England were just caught in the hop in this case. Of course. I and look, and look Because I know we're going to have angry Patriots fans messaging us in about this as well. We're not saying that they're not a good team. They are a good team. They're just not the weird, unbeatable entity that everyone says they are. But equally to give them their fair dues, Baltimore always play them very difficultly, particularly when Baltimore are at home. Baltimore also with Lamar Jackson are a very specific type of offense, different from what you would get. So it's not your standard practice. They could be an excellent defense and just not match up well against this. Because there was questions about their run defense. And once you add in the fact that they have a stable of running backs and they also have Lamar Jackson, a quarterback, it does line up very well for the Ravens to take on this defense. So there are factors that can be seen as kind of explaining away some of it. But um, but yeah, like it does it does kind of kill off some of those like, oh, 19-0, this is going to be incredible. This is the best team that we've ever had. It shows that they are fallible. And I think the next streak of five games has them playing the likes of uh, Cowboys, Eagles, Chiefs, and a few others. So I think it'll be an interesting stretch to get probably a better handle on this team. Uh, finally, we had Dallas at the New York Giants. I mentioned already the most important thing from this game, the uh, cat <laughs> that took the field. But uh, yeah, just give us a quick overview of what was a very one-sided affair. Albeit that the Giants 
looked well in the first five minutes. Yeah, like this this game kind of trundled along, like Dallas kind of been better, but still struggling for the first three quarters and then putting the foot down solidly in the fourth quarter to actually put it away. Like I think, you know, I mentioned already in previous weeks, I think Dallas are reverting a little bit, maybe a little more to their traditional offense, lots more Zeke. 139 yards in this game and while they had a few pass attempts deep that maybe they were unlucky not to to to, to convert um they were mostly using the short pass game with Cobb and Witten to kind of move the chains um the New York offense continues to stutter Daniel Jones is tied with James Winston for the most uh, turnovers and he's had like multiple games less than him and the red zone inefficiency added to that only four field goals uh, like four field goals from within the 11 yard line, just not good enough. And the D wasn't terrible, but it's still brittle. Uh, the Giants, obviously, it's a rebuilding year. You can't take too much from this. You're just looking for progress. But the fact that Jones has been already a little bit turnover happy, that's definitely something to be concerned about going forward. That's the one thing you can't afford to have in your quarterback, in my opinion. No, of course. And what we'll do is we'll fly over and have a quick look at our uh, mid season review of our premature congratulations. <laughs> So, uh, first up, we have our positive one. So, comeback player of the year. I said Earl Thomas, and you said Cam Newton. Uh, Cam Newton looks like a good early pick for next year, maybe, at this point. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so I think we're both agreeing it's going to be Jimmy G, right? Yeah, I think it's hard to look beyond them right now. With the way that team is, I expect them to be, you know, if they're, if they're you know, a third, they're going to be at least a third seed, it kind of feels like. So, yeah, it should be good. Yeah, of course. Uh, breakout player, I have Michael Gallup, who is playing well but isn't doing that much. Uh, you had Dalvin Cook, who's looking incredibly good, probably the best running yeah. back, or at least top two, three running back in the league at the moment. Yeah, I'd go with Dalvin Cook. I might also give an honorable mention to DJ Chark, who's just kind of surprised well, everyone. I think maybe I would give, maybe, like, I'm going to stick with Cook just because I had him mm-hmm. originally, but Chark, to be fair, coming from a much lower hype base than Dalvin Cook. I think people... Like, people were already pretty hyped that Dalvin Cook was a good player, whereas DJ Carr, it just kind of happened from nowhere almost. Yeah. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year. So I had David Montgomery, and you've got Kyler Murray. So you're going to stick with Kyler Murray, yeah? Yeah, I just think, like, he's had a few explosive games, uh, but it, I think they'll just go to the quarterback. Too, yeah, well, the thing is, I went for David Montgomery. All I did was I just went for the wrong rookie running back. Uh, <laughs> he's Montgomery's good, he's just not getting the use in the system. Josh Jacobs is my pick at the moment for Offensive Rookie of the Year on fantastic pace. I think he's expected to be like 1,400 yards and 12 or 13 touchdowns. And yeah, I just think I think he's he's a brilliant player and he's getting the use. Defensive Rookie of the Year, uh, I went for Nick Bosa and I'm sticking with that. He went for yeah. I went for Devin Bush but he's been getting killed in coverage so mm. Nick Bosa is having almost a defensive player of the year campaign yeah. uh, but because the NFL are cowards they'll probably give him this as the well, yeah. it's probably giving him the defensive player of the year just give him the rookie yeah. award and, there, and there, there is an element as well of he's landed in and I think this is my rationale at the time like the perfect situation there's rotational four or five guys who can rush the passer there so it's kind of a spot on place for him to go uh, defensive player of the year we both had Aaron Donald for this but we've both decided to change our choices. So you've gone for? Stefan Gilmore, maybe after New England's defense has shown up a bit, this isn't as good, but I was just kind of scratching for someone on a good defense who could get, who's kind of stood out a bit. And Stefan Gilmore, to be fair, has been a great shutdown corner for that New England defense. But we'll see if it, that's the same at the end of the year, 
had a New England defense statistics hold up at that point. Yeah, no, of course. I've gone for I was him and talking about a few people. I've gone for Minka Fitzpatrick mostly because he's been playing excellently since moving to the Steelers. He's got enough. Uh, I think that defense is good, even though the team isn't fantastic. And there's so much media attention that it gets picked up into the news cycle pretty much every week of. Oh, look, the Steelers won another game. The pick they gave up for him is suddenly lower down. And he's also now had, I think he's had four or five interceptions for them. And he's only played five games. Like He's, he's playing incredibly well for them. MVP, we had, I had Pat Mahomes and you had Drew Brees. Both of our choices are good choices, but, but struck down with injuries and missed a number of games. So it's time to swap it up. I'm going for, and I can see your one as well. I've gone for uh, Christian McCaffrey. If he can keep up his, he's basically all the Panthers offense. He could get the yards from scrimmage record and he could also get like a couple of touchdown bits. But I think I'm sorry, you're right. Connor, the NFL are cowards. They'll give the best running back the offensive player of the year. That's just how it works in the NFL. Yeah, They're it's cowards. true. It's it true. has to go to a quarterback. Uh, and I picked a quarterback. I picked Lamar Jackson. Hold on, uh, hold on. I thought you said it can't go to a running back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't don't let it, don't bring it up in the interview. But, uh, yeah, like there's obviously other quarterbacks up there, like Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. But mm-hmm. I kind of feel like Lamar's Lamar's making that kind of almost like peak Michael Vick type plays that are just gonna excite people. I feel like Baltimore are probably best primed with their schedule and how they're playing right now to have a late season run to be. Yeah, the team that people are most excited about and they end up getting it. Whereas I think Russell Wilson's incredibly efficient, but it's not an exciting offense and Sean Watson will have a lot more to carry if he wants to end up being a really high seed this year. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, top long snapper, I think we're just going to both stick with our picks. I've gone with Zach Diossi and you're staying with Austin Cutting, yeah? Yeah, I haven't seen any missed uh, snaps, so they're both probably pretty good. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't really. I'll be honest, paying attention to uh, <laughs> Jeff Long snapper uh, are not so good player awards. So they come in the back player for the worst defensive back, Josh Josh Norman at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go. He looks slow. He looks bad, and he's a winger. So I'm happy yeah. to agree with you in this case. Perfect. Uh, Tom Cable Award for excellent in losing penalty yards. I had a keep to leave. Who unfortunately is now basically just not playing very much. Uh, you had Vaughn. Tez Burfitt who we have to go hands down as you call it yourself technical knockout he <laughs> got so many flags that he got himself kicked out of the league for the year so I think yeah that is the ultimate flag that, that, that's dedication to the flag getting experience getting suspended for an on field incident unprecedented 100, oh, chef kiss 100% Jamarcus Russell award for the biggest hype train crash we both went with Arizona uh, because we thought that was the only thing that was getting enough hype at the time how did I forget the Browns the Browns are going to stay <laughs> the Browns we wanted to believe Connor we wanted to believe it's true it's true so um, I think we've just both gone for teams that had high expectations I've gone for the Browns and you've gone Atlanta I, I probably had higher expectations than the general NFL public but with all the talent they have to have had a season this wretched yeah not really acceptable no, not at all. So, uh, low expectations. So, the Sanchez, the most embarrassing moment award. I've gone for the QB situation in Washington, and it's not looking any better now that they're on to starting the rookie. <laughs> the only competition is their left tackle situation. Yeah, uh, and then you, your one was actually something that already occurred at the point, but I think I'm still, I still understand you standing by Indianapolis fans booing look. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, I feel bad for, like, you know, Indianapolis, they're well-coached and stuff, they lose T.Y. and stuff, but if they don't make the playoffs, 
I'm just going to blame it on karma, to be honest. No, of course. Worst quote of the year. Well, the year's not done yet, so mine could still come to pass that Peterman deserves a shot at starter, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And you had a, a trade of John for Jay. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, Gruden. his rights have been lapsed, uh, Jay Gruden. So I'm going to go with the recent one, the uh, I'm seeing ghosts quote from Sam Darnold caught on Monday Night Football against the Patriots. Uh, one could say he's been haunted by it uh, since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty good one. Uh, keeping the homeless warm, a dumpster fire of the year. I had Pittsburgh and you had uh, Washington. Uh, Washington are definitely a, a, a complete fire. Although I kind of kind of half sticking with the Pittsburgh because everyone's like, "Oh, it's a playoff team. What are they going to do?" And like, they're they're awful. They're probably going to win five or six games. And like you're 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 taking the bonfire approach. Like they're stat like you know the hope right now is stacking the wood in. Oh so yeah. So that yeah. when the fire is properly set, things are going to get really crazy. Mm. So we have uh, then our expectations for the year or for the team. So our surprise teams, I had Houston and you had Minnesota. Both teams that are doing well and probably on track to potentially win their divisions. Uh, but I think we both have to agree San Francisco are the big surprise team. Yeah. <laughs> They've just been, no, no one was guessing this. Like, <laughs> the last undefeated team was San Francisco. Uh, AFC champion, we're both sticking with KC. Yeah, if you can win a game with Matt Moore, I'm happy to stick with you. Yeah. Uh, NFC champion, I had Green Bay. That doesn't look as good at the moment, but I do kind of like them. You've got. Yeah, New Orleans. And, like, to be honest, considering how they did with Teddy Bridgewater, why would I change that? No, of course. And uh, then, obviously, we're going to stick with our Super Bowl winners. I'm going to stick with KC, and you're going to stick with New Orleans. So, uh, like, logically, you should be right because New Orleans have one more tragedy level to go through before mm. they can actually win it again after getting tragedy out of the division round, then the NFC round, and that they should get tragedy out of the Super Bowl. But uh, I'm going to trust in them besides the fact that destiny means that they will definitely lose in heartbreaking fashion if they make the Super Bowl no of course and because we are doing that this week we've rolled there was a couple of questions that we're going to have to hold off till next week because you don't want to be stuck listening to us for an hour and 45 minutes so let's roll on and take our picks for next week Okay, so we're mostly in agreement this week. Uh, first up, Thursday Night Football, divisional match, the Chargers, possibly the London Chargers soon, taking on the Oakland Raiders. We've both gone for Oakland, even though the Chargers very handily managed the Green Bay Packers. Mm, yeah, but like one, you know, one week doesn't make a season. Like it kind of felt like maybe they got lucky there. And I do think that like the kind of pass rush heavy approach that got them the win against Green Bay won't be as effective against an Oakland team that loves running the ball and loves getting the ball out like, quick. It feels like kind of might have neutralized their advantage. Maybe LAC are like are on the cusp of a massive comeback and, and wildcard hunt, but it kind of feels like Oakland, they've been more solid this season, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and they can get it done at home on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, that's it. Thursday Night, always pick the home team, and I think divisional game, they're always quite aggressive and tend to be parody-ish. Apart from the last couple of years, KC was taking it out of them. But uh, yeah, Oakland for that one. Giants at Jets. Oh, God. Just save yourself the bother. Don't watch. Going for Giants just because they have slightly more quality players. Yeah. Like, the Jets just look so bad right now. You can't can't pick them. So like, the they lost, they, they, like, they lost yeah. to the Dolphins and comprehensively lost to the Dolphins. So you can't pick the Jets until something changes. Atlanta at New Orleans. We're both going for New Orleans. We've talked at length about Atlanta. 
there's no point in picking Atlanta. They'll put up some good fantasy numbers with Matt Ryan, but they will lose. Pretty much. Yep. Uh, Kansas City at Tennessee. We, at this time of recording, don't know whether Mahomes will be playing or whether Matt Moore will be playing. To be honest, if they can game plan and play like they did against Minnesota, I'd be fine taking on Tennessee with Matt Moore under center. I'd be worried about how we'd handle Derek Henry, but, you know, they keyed in on Dalvin Cook and were able to get success against, I think, a Vikings team with a more effective run game and a more dangerous passing game. So I'm thinking KC in this one. Yeah, uh, it's, I'm not going to pick Tennessee, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, the flaming thumbtacks demand it. Yeah, next up, Baltimore at Cincinnati. Like, come on. Yeah. Sorry, Cincinnati. Yeah. Goodbye. Well, as we get to see the new rookie quarterback guy. Um, yeah, Ryan Finley. It'll be great. And I think AJ Green is back. Yeah, look, you can... Look, Connor, the Cincinnati thing just, you know. Oh, I don't, I don't expect them to win. I just think it'll be interesting to see what they'll probably look like for the next year or two. Yeah. I, don't really, I don't really see them doing anything in this game. I've got to take Baltimore. You know what the worst thing about Cincinnati is, though? Their run defense, so. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, yeah, that's going to be awful. Buffalo at Cleveland. We've both gone for Buffalo. I could, I could kind of see this going either way, but with Buffalo's defense, the way it's playing, and the way that they're just not being able to take care of the ball in Cleveland, I, I. But also, Buffalo's offense has been terrible. Yeah, but uh, Buffalo are managing to win games. Cleveland are managing to lose games. Yeah, you could definitely see Cleveland doing something with dog pound, but based on form, you just can't pick them right now. No. So as I said, we're all in agreement up till now. Here's one. Arizona at Tampa Bay. Uh, you don't care about this game at wibbledy, all. Wibbledy, wibbledy teams. Yeah. Do wibbly wibbly stuff every week. Bruce Arians revenge game? Yeah. Mark. He didn't retire, so I don't know why he would be revenge. <laughs> but uh, Tampa Bay... Yeah, they're Tampa Bay. <laughs> they just do stuff. Who knows what it is? James could have 15 picks, or he could have like 5,000 yards, but... Whatever, like, who cares? Uh, in Arizona, uh, I think they're finding a rhythm right now in terms of getting explosive plays happening, but there's no consistency to their offense. There's no consistency to their defense. So this is literally just a shit shoot. Who knows what could happen? Yeah. It should be high scoring, though, at least. I've gone Tampa Bay. You've gone Arizona. Yeah. yeah like, no, neither of us know, and neither of us really care, to be honest. Uh, Detroit at Chicago. Both going Detroit here. Like... This is an anti-Mitch Titties pick. That's yeah. about it, to be honest. The, yeah, like, the best unit in this game is Chicago's defense. The, like, worst unit is... I, I, yeah, it's probably the Chicago offense. But the thing is, the rest of the offense is fine. It's just Mitch Titties. He's just not good. I don't love Detroit, but I also don't trust Chicago's ability to score more than, like, 9 or 12 points. Yeah, it's not going to be a great game, probably. I could see Detroit taking care of it easily because their offense has been explosive at times but yeah Mitchell Trubisky just is doing nothing right now so unless David Montgomery has a massive game you just yeah. kind of have to pick Detroit at the moment yeah like I'm kind of hoping for them to just bench Mitch or do something but yeah it's probably too little too late at this point for them anyway uh, Miami at Indianapolis god both going Indy here Miami looked better last week and Indy are onto their third string quarterback at the moment uh, we don't know whether or not we're going to see Jake Brisket coming back this week but I yeah. think you have to pick the roster of Indianapolis against the roster of Miami yeah it took a spectacular 
spectacular amount of suckage from the Jets to lose to Miami. Um, so I think in analysts, they're, they're, they're solid enough. They should get it done. Actually, that's one that we left off our, our mid-season coach of the year. No, Adam Gase anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I've already said a lot of the coach of the year. I, I think it's Sean Payton. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be tempted, particularly if they can like, continue out the season and finish off the way. I think maybe Frank Reich in Indianapolis, given what they've been able to put together. Yeah, which is, uh, I think it's solid enough. Yeah, solid stuff. Next up, Carolina at Green Bay. Uh, this is your game of the week. We've both gone Green Bay. I think this game has gotten a little bit softer because in the middle of the podcast, we find out that we don't have Cam Newton for the rest of the season. Yeah, but even even with that, Green Bay obviously coming off a massively disappointing game against the Chargers. Was that a once-off or is the more explosive Green Bay offense we've seen recently? Is that the real Green Bay? Um, I think it'll be an interesting challenge because Carolina's defense... It's been up and down, but it's definitely not a bad unit. So they may have a chance here to get the kind of pressure um, that the Chargers managed to get. We know what Carolina Carolina does cap their up end a little bit, but he's been solid, he's been efficient, he's getting the ball out quick. And obviously with Christian McCaffrey, they have a chance to run all over you. And Green Bay's run defense isn't looking so great right now. It's probably one of the worst great run defenses in the league. So Christian McCaffrey could definitely just carry Carolina all the way to the win here. I think for Green Bay... In a competitive division, they have a chance here if they win to kind of stamp their, you know, stamp their authority on the division. But for Carolina, this is all about staying relevant, maybe staying in touch with the Saints, but definitely staying relevant for the wild card hunt. Both no. solid teams in Green Bay, they're the more talented team right now, but based on that wobble last week, definitely give a level, extra level of intrigue to where Green Bay actually are in their kind of power standing. No, of course. I think Green Bay get back, back home and they get a kind of yeah, like their defense will be tested by this Carolina team, but it, yeah, I think I I feel that they'll probably pull it out. Uh, the Rams are taking on Pittsburgh. We've both gone for the Rams. Like the Rams aren't looking great this year, but they're definitely better than this Pittsburgh team. Pittsburgh's defense is good, but almost like the Chicago team that, uh, discussion from earlier. Like their defense might be really good, but as it stands, I do not trust their quarterback to be able to put anything together whereas I trust the like the Rams will be able to put up 20 to 27 points and I don't see Pittsburgh being able to do that unless they get a big couple of scores out of their defense say yeah like this is about two heavy hitting franchises that you kind of usually can trust at least recently with LA and Pittsburgh in general that you can't really trust either of them right now due to the poor offense from both teams, let's be honest. Like, the the one thing that gives Pittsburgh a chance here is that we know that when Jared Goff is put under sufficient pressure, he does make mistakes, he can turn the ball over, and Todd Gurley isn't doing anything right now, so the Pittsburgh defense, it will take a hell of an effort to get a win here, but I wouldn't count them out completely uh, with the way they've been playing recently. No, of course. Uh, I was just hemming and hawing about the next... One, I had, uh, we've got Minnesota at Dallas, and I've been swapping my pick over and back the entire time trying to figure out what to do. Uh, we've both gone for Dallas. Dallas have looked less explosive the last couple of weeks. I think those injuries to their tackles were kind of slowing them down a bit. But this is a Minnesota team that was stopped by the Chiefs there with Matt Moore, and I gotta believe that. The offense that we're going to see out of Dallas has to be a bit more complete than a Matt Moore-led Chiefs offense. Yeah. So if their defense can hold up, and like we said, 
if they just focus in on the running back and make it that Cousins has to beat you, I think that's where they'll find the strength. The issue is that they don't exactly count their defensive backs as a position of power down there. Two very similar teams here, both teams that have solid defences that on their day can be elite defences, both teams that lean heavily on their run game, and both teams with quarterbacks who at times look really good, especially when they allowed to do play action, run out of the pocket, stuff like that, but if asked to carry the team in solid, you know, traditional quarterbacking, look pretty limited. I think Dallas overall, maybe they're a bit more solid a little bit, and they're at home. So I think for two similar teams, the home game advantage is what we're going to give it to here. And in prime time, Dallas have kind of upped their game a little bit. So I expect that Zeke and, and the guys can probably get enough here to beat uh, Cousins. Um, but it should be. It's, a, it's an interesting game, though not perhaps a classic in the making. Yeah, no, of course. And then finally, Seattle at San Francisco. Big matchup here because this will have huge knock-on effects for who's going to get a victory and who's going to get a wild card essentially at the tail end of the season uh, all going to plan for both these guys. It's been a while, I feel, since we've had kind of a proper competitive match between these. Outside of like, you know, they always play up within division, have a yeah. kind of slugfest that's very kind of 2013, 2014 nearly. But yeah, I've gone for Seattle and you've gone for San Francisco. It's my pick of the week as well. I just think... I really like how efficient the Seattle offense has been looking of late. I don't love their defense, but I also think that, you know, we've seen one big offensive game out of Jimmy G and the guys there last week. I'm not sure that's necessarily indicative of what all of their all of their games are going to look like because I really don't rate the Arizona defense at all <laughs> at the moment. So we'll, we'll see. I, I think... This will be a good test for the San Francisco defense as well because we've got lots of big-bodied receivers. We've actually even got production out of the replacement tight end who's in for, for Seattle as well. Carson's looked well over the last couple of games and you've always got that risk of, you know, they have a good pass rush, but Wilson is evasive and he's always good at, as we always call it, uh, Russell bullshit, essentially. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah I could I, I, I could see it, I could see it go either way, but I, I'm I, and I know that you're essentially just doing your uh, your anti jinx pick against your own team thing here, yeah. but um, yeah, <laughs> I I can I can see Seattle winning this one, and I like the idea of them going down with the extra day to prep, traveling down, and it being the big kind of like this is how we can put a dent in them, like a big statement within the division kind of thing. Yeah. Like, Seattle are great in prime time, and if Russell Wilson does magic to bullshit his way to winning here, uh, I will be changing my MVP both from Lamar Jackson to Russell Wilson. But I just think, mm. like, the offensive line hasn't been great for Seattle. Tell me a new story. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Russell Wilson can only cover up so much, and the stuff that's worked really well for them, the play action, the long, the long plays isn't going to happen if you only have, like, two seconds to get the ball out before uh, Nick Bosa is killing you. And so I kind of feel like if they can get the run game going, that will be less of an issue. But it just kind of feels like Seattle definitely have that weakness where if you can bully them up front, they don't really know what to do. And Russell Wilson isn't the same type of player. So that's what I'm kind of expecting mm. to happen here and, and San Francisco to win. I just think the fundamentals of the San Francisco team 
They're so strong right now that they should have enough to overcome the kind of incredible efficiency of the Seattle offense. Fair enough. But yes, that'll that'll do us for this week. Apologies again, we didn't get to your questions, but we had our, our mid-season kind of review, so we had to uh, <laughs> to fly past them. We might start migrating now to not covering all the games because we're starting to get to the point where some of these games really just do not matter. <laughs> like, I don't think I don't think anyone is crying out for in-depth analysis of the Giants versus the Jets next week uh, or, uh, or Miami, eh, maybe well, Miami, we'll, Indianapolis. We'll have like the we'll probably introduce maybe ten-second reviews uh, from some yeah. of these games. Oh, you've been relegated to a 10 second review Buffalo or Cleveland it happened let's forget that it happened <laughs> kind of yeah um, but no it should be good any plans for the weekend well we're doing our big uh, update of the software 8.5 at uh, work uh, next Wednesday um, so I probably won't be uh, sorry Tuesday sorry so I won't be able to stay up probably on Monday night mm. uh, for the uh, San Francisco game but uh Considering if, if it's in the cinema, I'm going to see The Irishman, the three and a half hour. Oh, yeah, the Scorsese's new one. Co-production, a new, new uh, Scorsese film. But uh, more than that, probably pretty quiet. Once I get past the release, then I'll be looking at other stuff. I'm looking at stuff like going to a monster game later this month. But uh, for this week, keep it a cutest. Very good, very good. Yeah, I think we're chilling out for the most part. I found it now that the time change has happened. Uh, I discovered this morning that when I get up for work in the morning on a Tuesday, the end of the game is happening. So I can kind of watch most of the fourth quarter while I'm having my breakfast and stuff, which is uh, it's a nice little touch because normally you just have to watch it on catch-up afterwards. But um, no, apart from that, nothing too major. I think... Uh, just the announcement from the LA Chargers. It was them on Twitter using the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not going anywhere, speech. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but you have literally just gone somewhere two years ago. <laughs> like... <laughs> hey, uh, you know, it's a subtle dig at themselves, you know, hardly the most reliable character they're referring no, to. No, To be fair, though, actually, we must give them props. If, if you want something that's a bit of crack to look at, the Chargers have a phenomenal social media team. Their Twitter feed post games is very, very, very good. They put together some excellent ones. So give give, give them a look if you're looking for something to, to have a bit of crack with. But um, yeah, I suppose for now that will wrap oh, us sorry. up. Sorry, just the yeah, Dean Spanos disputed the athletic story of a movie in London saying total fucking bullshit yeah that's total right. fucking bullshit is a yeah right until the dollars appear but anyway of course we coming. shall see we will we will but yeah so I suppose for this week uh, and until next week it's uh, bye from myself bye from Ronan bye uh, this has been all four quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week